All opinions and views expressed on this podcast do not reflect official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the United States government. Hello, airmen, soldiers, sailors, marines, guardians, and all the rest of you humans out there, and welcome to Engaged, a joint-based McGuire-Dix Lakehurst Diversity and Inclusion podcast. I'm your host, Chip. And I'm Rafi. And we are joined today by special guest, Command Chief Master Sergeant Amy Riley from the 621st Contingency Response Wing, and also currently assigned in charge of Task Force Liberty. Yeah, Task Force Liberty. We got it. I got it. That was, a, that was a mouthful. <laughs> it is mouthful. <laughs> um, thank you for being on the show today, ma'am. Like, it, it's really awesome to see you. It, it's been, I feel like I, you've been all over the place and, and you haven't been around us. Obviously, you're taking care of stuff over at Task Force Liberty. Um, it, it, it's good to see you back in the building. It's good to be back here and, and talking with you face to face. It's nice to be back. Uh, it has been quite a few months since I uh, had to take over at Task Force Liberty. But it's been really weird because it's here on McGuire, and I live here on McGuire, and so I still am part of it, but I feel so disconnected from everything else because I'm so focused in over there. Like, what's going on is a lot. Right. So. Yeah, we, like I said, it's definitely a joy to have you back in the building, ma'am. Thank you. Um, I don't miss those stairs, though. Yeah. I just. And the elevators. <laughs> <up again. laughs> yeah. But it's um, okay. Before we get started on a topic today, ma'am, uh, whatever you would like to, to tell us about your background story growing up, uh, your, your career, your personal life, any, anything you'd like to, to introduce yourself with outside of uh, being the, the command chief and, and running around and doing crazy stuff, ma'am, uh, the floor is yours to, to give us a little intro. Yeah, awesome. Well, I, one, I really appreciate you guys reaching out to me and asking me to help you do this conversation topic. I think um, for me personally, uh, been in the military for almost 25 years, and um, I've grown a lot in the military. This morning, thinking about sitting out and talking to you guys, I had I, I kind of had to think about everything that I've been through and like where where some of the points are that I wanted to talk about today because it is important. Um, but when I joined the military, I uh, had no clue what I was going to do. Didn't want to go to college. Um, and I sure just didn't want to go out and get a job. So my friend introduced me to her recruiter. And then the next thing I knew, this is where I was at four years in just under four years in met my husband now. And, um, he said, you're going to get out. Uh, if you get out, we won't work. And so I didn't get out. (laughs) And then from there, just each enlistment brought something different, something new. And, and the path was what I enjoyed doing. And so I stuck it out and, Lo and behold, here I sat with main chief and then turned around and got put on the command chief list. And it's kind of a whirlwind. And when you think back about it, you know, when you're in the moment and you're kind of going through all of it, you don't realize this is the path that it's taking you down. But now that I'm here and I look back, I go, wow, like that really was the path I was supposed to be on, I guess, because it wasn't whatever it wasn't what I expected it to be nor was it something I was striving to be. Right. I wasn't a staff sergeant going, man, one day I can't wait to be a chief master sergeant. Like, I was like, wow, you gave me stuff. That was, <laughs> okay, we're going to try this today. And even when I finally committed to the military, right, you, you join the military, but then you actually, like, commit to the military. I've told other airmen this. I mean, I was 13 years in service already. I was 
just putting on master sergeant, decided to go be a first sergeant. And it was being coming a first sergeant as actually what finally committed me to that bigger picture, helping airmen, being a part of something more than what just I was coming to work doing my job. So background as a medic, um, has have had an opportunity to deploy different four different times, um, or six different times, four of them to Afghanistan. And then uh, being a part of Task Force Liberty has been, I think, my closure to Afghanistan. When we sent our teams downrange to go, it was um, heartfelt for me, but it was hard to watch everything that was happening along with a lot of different airmen that are out there and uh, based off of their deployments and while they've been there, it, not just airmen, all military personnel that have deployed to Afghanistan. And so being a part of Task Force Liberty is kind of like my, my end chapter to it. And right. it's, been, it's been an honor to serve over there. So I'm super grateful for the opportunity I've had. Thank you. Thank you so much again. Um, Rafi, what, what do we got on deck for today? What are we talking about? All right. So what we're going to be talking about today is the glass ceiling. And what that is, is the definition is uh, an intangible barrier within a hierarchy that prevents women or minorities from obtaining upper level positions, but is not limited to these groups. So think about the glass ceiling can apply to males working in and succeeding in roles that society deems they're unfit for. So I have a couple of examples. So for males, if you think about one that was that is being recently or more recently in, um, seen as being broken is males in nursing positions. So that, that could be an example of one that's being broken more, more and more and more. Um, another one can be uh, females applying for duties and positions that are traditionally assigned gender roles and how this affects our perceptions of female leaders. So you kind of think of it as um, multiple things and you could think of like like you constantly see a leader in as a as a male and you automatically assume that that all everyone in these leadership positions in that certain position is going to be a male and you're not used to seeing a female in that position so i'll leave you guys with that and to have your conversation absolutely thanks um so yeah oddly enough i i always try to think of some kind of story to talk first for these things and this was one of the ones where i was like all right, I don't know if I can talk first on this one. Um, so I'm not going to put you completely on the spot. I will say that um, I, I don't know exact statistics within the military off the top of my head for like the number, the percentages of men to women and the percentages of uh, different different um, race groups and, and off the top of my head. Obviously, I'm not that I'm not that statistically like researching into the stuff because that's not my role here on the show. That's Rafi's role. Um, but uh, I, I will say that traditionally what I'm used to seeing for leadership is is uh, is usually a, dom a male-dominated system, and it's not equally proportionate to the um, number of women that work around me or, or other, other, other gender-specified personnel around me. It's, it's um, the percentages are skewed, at least in my brain, the way that I perceive things. Yeah. Um, just a little bit of background for you, Chief. Uh, um, my my wife has got her degree in psychology, but she's also very um, uh, her her all of her uh, her minor was women and gender studies, and I've I've grown up with with her over the last twenty years. And so, like, I, women's equality is is a topic that's discussed quite a bit in my household. Yeah. Anyway, so. Um, uh, and she's been she's been with me for most of this ride. I'm I'm a little over twenty right now, so she's 
I, I met her in my first duty station at Lackland. Um, it, it, it's something that I, I've been aware of. And it, weirdly enough, there's been times where like I had to call myself and say, am I like purposely trying to build up my female troops to, to justify something with that? And uh, honestly, I wasn't like taking the, it wasn't that I was doing that purposely, but maybe unconsciously growing, growing up and, and as a young staff sergeant and tech sergeant and, and minorities for that matter, it wasn't just women, but like, um, and, and what I found in myself was like, I, I wasn't holding any different standards. It, it, it's just, I was trying to be as real and honest looking at everybody uh, as, as a person and a human being, whether it be hiring for a position in the armory when I worked in the armory back in the day or um, putting people up for airmen or NCO of the quarter or anything like that. Um, but I, it was something that was recognized a lot. Like, man, there's a lot of, it's a lot of the same looking kind of people and the same thing going on to be airman of the year and, um, you know, chief master sergeant and first sergeants. Um, it, it's definitely a different air force now. It's definitely, um, at least it, it, when I look at it, like it, it, it seems to be a little bit more diverse now than it was even 20 years ago. Uh, but um, I, I don't know. I have a, a strangely different perspective than most people would think for somebody of, uh, uh, that looks like me. Um, yeah. I, I think we all do, though. Right. right. So consider myself, who grew up in a medical world, women are around me everywhere. It doesn't mean that I didn't have male commanders or male nurses or any of that. But... For the most part, I've had female commanders, I've had female flight chiefs, flight commanders, like, and there are a lot of career fields out there that just don't. So I think it depends on the world that what you grow up in as well. But my perspective is also going to be very different than the females that have graduated out of Navy SEAL training. Right. Or out of, um, you know, specialized army training that we've, that, that they went in being the first female to ever do it. Right. Right? And there's a drive for them, probably not just to prove to those around them, but to prove to themselves that they can. And so some of the things I may say on this podcast, women from that have gone through some of that would probably think, where have you been living? Like, we are held back. We don't have the same opportunities. This, you know. Right. But what I will say is, I like to embrace the fact that I am very different from a man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am okay with that, right? Like, I don't mind going out and mowing my lawn. But, hey, honey, go out and mow the lawn. Like, I'm doing laundry. And I'm not trying to stereotype the roles, or the roles of which we have in our homes. Because my daughter, who is married, her and her husband split it all 50-50 down the street. Like, you do the laundry today. I will go and take the car to get the oil changed, whatever the case may be. So it's not a, to me, in my mind, it is not a stereotype. I think it is one, it's within the world that you have grown up in and what you choose to change or not change based off of that. What we need to get past is judging others for the, for the choices that they have because of it. Right. right. So it would be one thing for me to sit here and, and say for the, the women that have completed through um, any of the specialized army trainings or the Navy SEALs and all of those very difficult, competitive, male-dominated communities, any of the soft-type, you know, uh, careers, why would you do that? You're a woman. It, you know, 
versus me going, rock on, sister, get after it. It's not something I've ever wanted to achieve, and that's okay. We all have different things in life. You talked about men being uh, nurses, Rafi, and and that's a, that could be considered a, a glass ceiling. Think about the men that stay home now are stay at home dads. Yeah, that was a, that was something I was right? thinking about like, earlier. Like, but that's not a traditional. And even me, like I cook. I'm the cook in the house. Mm-hmm. Like me being the the primary chef, that's not a typical male role in the classic American sense of it. Like you know, fifties or whatever silly thing but like usually it's not uh it's if you're a male and you're a cook it's because you cook outside of the house you don't cook in the house my my husband uh 24 years in service retired as a senior master sergeant was an ammo troop through and through (laughs) still as i think to this day right um and I don't want to call him an alpha male at work, but he was very dominating at work, meaning people respected him the hell out of him. Not because he was, you know, knife handing everybody and doing that, but he was very um, well respected and people enjoyed working for him. When he retired, that was it. It just, he decided to stay home. We had a three year old daughter. Uh, we moved, I was PCSing just as he was retiring, and so we moved. And it didn't make sense for him to go back to work at the time. So he didn't. And that has been what it's been since the day that he retired in October of 2014. And so for me, uh, it would be very easy. And I'm sure, you know, I won't lie. There have been times where I'm like, you need to get, (laughs) like, I I do this every single day. Why aren't you still doing this? But that comes out of my frustration for different things. Probably a little bit out of envy because he gets to stay home and sometimes, you know, I do want to stay home. But um, overall, you have to do what works best in your life. Right. If you want to get up and go after it, get up and go after it. And now there are plenty of women who sit in CEO positions. So I I will tell you a story. Uh, I was a senior airman. I was working directly for a captain who was very emotional. And that drove my perspective that women in leadership positions were emotional. And I don't like working for emotionally driven people. Right. I, not that I wasn't ever emotional in my time. I definitely wasn't. (laughs) I'm sure we'll get into that. But um, if you're going to be a jerk, be a jerk. And if you're going to be a nice person, be a nice person. But don't be like wishy-washy between the two, right? I don't like that work. I I don't mind dealing with People, I just want to know the type of person I'm dealing with on a consistent basis. Right. And she, it was hard. It was hard. I never knew what I was walking into. I didn't know, right, all of these things. And so my perspective became women in leadership positions. That that does not work because for whatever reasons, they are driven by emotion and we don't know how to handle it. And, and I was an emotional person. So I was also putting in mind, like, if I had to be in charge of people, would I be able to keep my check, myself in check? Right. Right. But it comes over time. And I have had plenty of women in my chain of command that I respect the hell out of who have proven me wrong, proven that perspective wrong that I had as a senior airman. And I've proven myself wrong. But I've done it over time. I've, I have been able to, um, I get, I guess, reflect on my own 
emotions and where they come from and realize that I don't need to, my emotions don't, are, it's not personal to me. Like their choices, their decisions, it's not coming after Amy Riley, right? Right. Like, we all have a job to do and that's okay. And so as I've learned to come to the table in that way and, and have my voice heard in that way, I've been seen differently. And I think there is, you know, probably some stereotypes still out there, but men get just as emotional. Right. And we now, we now see it differently. That used to be, that was called, they were being the boss. They, you know, like all, it was their driving factor. And we just see those things differently now. The generations coming up just don't want to be a part of um, the way that it once was. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. That's... That's also what I've taken away with a lot of this, yeah. uh, especially the last five years. Um, and uh, I, I assume that your approach is probably similar because I think the approach that I learned with this and subordinates is uh, uh, being a little bit more empathetic instead of emotional um, and listening, talking and listening and fostering uh, communication. I, I and getting your, your followers to, to listen up and also providing that valuable feedback to the people that you're a follower of, um, your, to your leaders. Uh, um, yeah, that, that is one of the stereotypes that I, I recall thinking as well, or, or other people having whenever I was younger. Um, I, just to kind of get back to the thing that I talked about with the armory, um, when I worked there, I, I, I wasn't any kind of groundbreaking, awesome armory NCYC, but we were, we were putting out a hiring position and um, one of the fem female airmen that worked in the squadron was like, do I, can I, do I even need to waste my time putting in an application to work back there? And I was like, why, why would you ask me that question? Like, put in an application. If you're, if you're qualified to work back here, I'll give you an interview and we'll take it from there. Yeah. And she's like, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, Arden, but girls don't work the armory. And I was like, hey, it was one of the times where I kind of had the moment. I was like, is that, okay, well, since I've been here, and I had been at that base for about five years, there was one female and she was placed there to be the assistant at CIC of the armory, which she wasn't hired. And I, and I thought about it and I was like, the armory staff hasn't had a female yeah. since I've been here. Um, and... Uh, she ended up putting an application. I didn't hire her that round, but I took her to the side afterwards and I was like, look, it wasn't, had nothing to do with the reason why you came and asked me. And in fact, there's, you were number two out of eight applicants Yeah. and I'm really sorry, uh, but I happened to hire this other person instead because I needed this, that, and the third and their letter of recommendation covered a couple of databases and stuff that, um, that I need somebody extremely knowledgeable on not that you're not but I know that this person is and that there's gonna be another opening in two months and I ended up hiring her two months later um, she was the number one out of out of four people that applied that time yeah. and then everybody's like and then I started hearing it at the other end like you know a girl in the armory and I was like are you kidding me like what are what year is it it's, it's 2006 is it is it not like it's not 1970 like wow um, one of my greatest workers ever. It also was one of the first times that I realized like being honest with, with followers or, or your subordinates or, or, or people that admire you as a, a leader 
um, being honest and open with them all the time fosters that kind of trust where they're open enough to say something like that to me. Like, I, I don't know that I would have had that courage as an airman, uh, especially as a female airman, to walk up to a, a, an NCO and be like, yeah, I, I, is it even worth me putting in here? Are you even going to consider me? Like, that, that, that was a lot of fortitude to come say that, I thought, at the time. Um, that was a tangent. Where are we at, Rafi? Where did I sidebar? So do we have another topic? Or my yeah, talk? I like what you guys are getting into. I like that you're touching on some of the psychological attributes. Um, there is this uh, Harvard Business Review um, that's out there that, that talks about the different attributes that males and females have when they're, in, in regards to their risk-taking. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting to talk about for, for the gas ceiling because um, what they found is that under stress, males are more likely to take more risky maneuvers and females are more likely to uh, go more concerted. That doesn't mean that it's like that for every single person. You might be, you might be slightly different, but the study have found that of, of, the, of the research that they did, um, that, that is what the findings are. Um, so it makes you kind of wonder, so if you're working, say, for example, in the military in a high-stress environment, um, how that plays into going through some of these challenges. Are you gonna take more risky moves? Are you going to um, be able to get past some of the other things that we talked about with, with uh, imposter syndrome and so on like that? Because all of that adds to your stress. So would you, and, and making a career change, such as applying for a new position, um, is, a, is a risky move. Um, and because, because you don't know what the outcome is and you don't know how that's going to um, affect you as a person. So for some people, it does cause a lot of stress. So I, it, it made me wonder, and if, if is it possible that that some of our own psychological aspects is what holds us back um, from the glass ceiling uh, for the things that we want to do that are, that are outside our gender roles? And then it also made me kind of think of something else too. And when you bought up soft, right, um, and breaking these stereotypes, these heavy stereotypes that hold you back, um, the ones the ones that where you really have to you you really have to go after because. There are people who are saying, no, you cannot do this because you are a woman, or no, you cannot do this because you are a male, and this is like mainly what, what girls do, or this is mainly what, what um, it, could, it could even be something else, it could be something totally different. It could be, uh, no, you cannot be Rapco because, because this is mainly what a, what, what, uh, what a boom operator does, and you are security forces, you can't do that. So, so there, there are so many different examples that you can apply that to. Um, but breaking domes takes a major role on you as a person. Because what you have to do is you have to go, instead of like everyone else that you see around you, you are going 110% above them to prove to them that you are worth it. And to prove to, and, and it takes a toll on you. You sacrifice a lot of things. Um, here on JBMDL, one example I could give you is uh, working night shift, right? And a lot of leaders might not notice what is going around, going around going on around the base, but due to COVID, if you go walk in right now to get a haircut at five o'clock, guess what? The BX is closed. You cannot get a haircut at five o'clock. Oh, the BX, uh, yeah. the, the, the barbershop? Yeah, so yeah. you can't get a haircut. So now, now think about it this way. Imagine if you are working night shift, you're trying to, you're trying to do all these extra things to, to break your glass ceiling or to, to go above and beyond your position, and you have to do extra steps now to get past that. And the reason why I bought up night shift is because um, there is this uh, stereotype that exists in the military, unfortunately, with certain career fields where they will talk about, um, oh, night shift is where you send, send the airmen that you don't want seen by leadership or, you know, that's, that's where you hide the bad airmen. 
Um, and unfortunately, that's that's a stereotype that exists. Does that necessarily mean that every single airman is on night shift is bad, or that is even true at all? No, absolutely not. There's actually some great work that happens by a lot of different career fields during so, night. So you know what the stereotype was when I was a staff sergeant? What's that? Those who could not do UDM <coughs> office. Do you know how important our UDMs are to us? Yeah. Like wow. Right. I, and I, I'm that a prior was, UDM, so right. like that, that was the for here. That was the stereotype. Wow. Like you got put into the UDM office. You can't be worth it, nothing. That and that is so far from the truth. It yeah. really is. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I thought no, that was really no, interesting that's... that you brought that up. No, yeah, and so so you see all these different stereotypes, and that's what I was getting into. So you have all these different stereotypes playing into the glass ceiling, which then holds someone back and it affects them at an emotional and psychological level. So there's a huge toll to breaking your glass ceiling um, on a person. Uh, to themselves, and it can affect their families as well. So I'll leave you guys with that to have your conversation. Yeah, so and I get what you're saying, right? Like, you're already on the mid-shift. There's this perception, per se, that, like, that's that's where you hide the bad folks at, away from leadership. And now, and you brought up the barbershop. The barbershop's closed at 5. You work mid-shift from 10 to 6. It doesn't open until 11. So either, A, you're stuck with, let me wake up six hours or, no, more than six hours, math eight hours early and get a haircut or let me stay up five or six hours late to get a haircut. Well, let me throw in some, some another different okay. perspective. Now let's throw in the cultural identity that we talked about earlier. Now imagine you are a female, single mom, working mid-shift and have to do CDC as well. And then you've got... You know, what time does another... the CDC close? Okay. So I, I am, I'm oblivious to this one, Rafi, here, sorry. So here, here is where, when you started talking about that, Rafi, here's what I, I was thinking. The person who really wants it learns how to cut their hair. Right. Right? When, when you want something bad enough, you do what it takes to get after it and get it done. Like, you will always prioritize what is important to you. It is human fact, and, and, and that is how we move out as a culture, as a person, all of it. So if my kids are the most important to me, everything else will go to the wayside. Yeah. Right? I will do everything and anything in my power to be at every game, at every meeting, at every phone call, at every everything. If school is the most important to me, everything else in my life, so be it, will sit on the sideline while I go to school, write my paper, do this, do that. And you watch people with families, sorry to hit the court. Uh, with with families, do it all the time, right? They will shut the door. They will go into the room. They will write their papers. They will they will not participate in the home life because right now, going to school and getting that degree, I got to knock that out. That's what I have to do. For those who are on night shift and something, whether take the airman who wants to be part of a bodybuilding competition, right? So they know that their sleep, their nutrition, and getting to the gym are probably the three most important things to achieving the fitness goals that they have to have in order to comp to compete in that. So whatever they have to do to make sure that they don't interrupt those three things, they are going to do. So you got to, I guess as a, as, a, as a person, whether you are trying to fight against whatever glass ceiling you might be up, pushed up against, yes, psychologically it does take a lot. And, and you will hit times in your life that you're down, it's stopping you, you're talking against yourself, your self-talk has gone <laughs> crazy, um, 
but the people who want it the most have the willpower and 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 the push to go past that. They will find their way through it. They will make it to whatever that next step is in order to see that next goal line that they're trying to get after. And it is our job to support them in that effort. So every conference we go to, the chief master, that, that all of the, the wing command chiefs are at, and then, you know, MAGCOM command, all of the command chiefs across the Air Force are at, um, we have a group called Sister CCOs that we all, we, we keep each other up, right? Like if any of us are having problems, you can reach out to any of them and have a conversation. And so we take an opportunity when we go to these conferences to meet together for breakfast and coffee or in the evening time at some point. And so we uh, were at ASA in July and uh, Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force Bass was there. All of the female command chiefs were there. Um, command Chief Retired Fry was there. And we were sitting in a room together and there was probably close to 35, 40 of us maybe, sitting together talking. And Chief Bass, Chief Bass of the Air Force Bass and Chief Fry both shared that not but seven years ago, when Chief Bass started as a command chief and they, they got together, there was like five of them. Oh, wow. And so you may not see the like massive changes, right? Like. 50% of all leaders across the Air Force are, are women or, or minorities or you, you name the demographic that you want to use. But I don't ever take for granted the fact that there have been massive changes made. And we do see differences. And, and even for the men sitting in leadership positions now, the ones I have interacted with, I am sure there are still people out there with old thought mentalities and, and holding people back. But the ones that I've interacted with, the ones that I've had an opportunity to serve along, um, see it as such positive changes and are part of the change. Right. They want to see. I'm the first female command chief of the 621 CRW. Right? Right. Colonel Jackson gave me that opportunity. And he asked specifically for a diverse list. He knew he needed something different at his table. I had no idea. Like... You couldn't have told me what conditions of response wing was. I had no clue. <laughs> I've learned it, and I love it. But he didn't bring me in because I knew what the hell the security forces did out on deployment with, with our CRW folks. Like, I had no, no idea. All I do is bring a different perspective to the table, and that's what he wanted. And more and more people of today are doing that. And they want that because they know that their viewpoints are skewed by their own perceptions and life experiences. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to name drop since we can do that now, thanks to our, our trip last week. SEAC uh, had, had talked to us specifically about the glass ceiling. Rafi, I don't know if you remember that or not. And he talked about, um, and it kind of ties into what you're saying a little bit earlier before the, um, the, the story with Colonel Jackson that you're yeah. talking about. Uh, he, he mentioned about... Uh, how to not use it as an excuse. Like he's, there's plenty of times where people look at that and it, and it tears you down and it, it just becomes like, well, that's a barrier. And he's, and he said, you know, it's, it's not a barrier. It's, it's, it's on the person to like build themselves up and not let that be a barrier and break through it. Um, and, and, you know, reaching out for help when they need help or, uh, I, 
you know, finding their motivation to, to continue on, because if you want it, you're going to get it. Um, you're going to, you're going to do what needs to get done to, to, to accomplish what you need to get done. You just can't let it be the excuse. Yeah. It is not your motivation that gets you there. It's your determination because all of our motivation, it, it will die. Right. It just does. When you hit, when you hit a wall and you're down in the depths, whatever it is, you lose your motivation. It is your determination that will keep you going. But the SEAC is an, I love him. And I think that he has, this amazing, he just tells you the truth. Like, yeah, he's going to drop it. His <laughs> blunt honesty, like, shocked me. I was, yeah. it was, it was really awesome to hear that from a leader. I, he, I, yeah, he could have let his, um, you know, English is a second language. He could have let that stop him. Right. And it never did. It never did. We're going to take a brief break. Please join us next time as we continue our talk with Command Chief Master Sergeant Amy Riley. If you like that episode, please like and subscribe. Also, follow us on Facebook. If you wish to make contact with the JBMDL Diversity and Inclusion Working Group, please email 87abw.cvb.diversityinclusion at us.af.mil.